Hi, this is Sam Chan, and welcome to the Sam Chan Leadership Podcast. It is my honor to serve you, help you achieve your dreams. Let's do this together. Today, I want to talk about alignment, and I have just titled it Challenges of Multi-Generational Leadership. Multi-Generational Leadership. Right now, I'm in my mid-60s. But the people I'm working with are usually younger, very few older. It wasn't always like that. And as I travel, I'm finding more and more workplaces, be it church, be it corporation, more and more workplaces are having to balance out the challenge and bring into alignment how different generations work together. So I want to give you uh, just a basis for where I'm coming from. I'm a leadership consultant. So when I go into an organization, be it church, corporate, trade, doesn't matter. When I go into an organization, I do four things in that order. I assess, number one. I articulate, number two. I align, number three. And I help advance, number four. So in assessment, I help to see where the organization is where the organization wants to go, what's their vision, what's their vehicle. So I, I, I try to assess all of that, and then I articulate that into a plan as to what move it forward. Number three is alignment, how to bring all the resources and all the people and the vision and everything into alignment, the systems and the structures into alignment. And then number four is to advance them. Of those four things that I do when I work with an organization, the hardest is not assessment. The hardest is not articulation. The hardest is not advancement. You know what the hardest is? Number three, it is alignment. It is where I call the heavy lifting comes in. Till then, it is just talk. After that, it is implementation of plan. But right there, when you're trying to pull everything together to move in the same direction, alignment is hard work. But I want to talk about that today, especially in the context of how to align different generations that are working with church. But let me make my case. I wrote down 26 quick things that will help us understand what alignment is. Number one, your vacations and holidays. If you have good money, you can have good fun. But if you don't have enough money and you want to stay there, you may not be able to do that. So vacation, holidays, alignment, destination plans, when they come together, it's a good time. Uh, when your clothes are aligned to the weather, if it's really cold out there, you need warm clothes. They have to be aligned. When spouses are aligned as parents, have you ever seen mom and dad on different sides of it? Alignment helps there. <laughs> this, is, this is funny. Our two eyes, they blink together, they move together, they cry together, they see together, they sleep together, even though they never see each other. <laughs> Number five, you know why people get married? Because they think they're in alignment. Number six, people get divorced due to misalignment. Number seven, a recipe, a food dish is good when all the ingredients are in alignment. You put too much salt, too much pepper, it's a bad dish. 
Uh, when cars are align, not in alignment, you've got to have them periodically maintained because you're going to have to fight to keep it on the road. I'm just trying to make my point how important alignment is. Number 10, players, when they play on a position, if, if, if you're playing outfield in baseball and uh, you're not the catcher, you're, you're, you're out of alignment. So, so you've got to figure out what your alignment, what your position is. The gears of a car, I have a, I have a little car with a five-stick uh, in the floor, and I tell you, once in a while, when the clutch and the gears are not synchronized, operator error, you hear the, and all of a sudden you know <laughs> something bad could happen to your car. When your roles and responsibilities uh, are out of alignment, you've got challenges. How about doctrinal alignment? Uh, a lot of people go to churches and... Uh, fall out of that because they don't agree on what is being taught. How about values, thinking, and actions, and behaviors? Because actions, behaviors are a reflection of what your values are. So your behaviors and your values. Preparation and destination. Today, I have come from Atlanta to Birmingham. Uh, <laughs> So I had to align my car, I had to put gas in the car, I had to get on the right highway, get to the right exit, everything had to be in an alignment. Vision and vehicle, you can, you can have the greatest vision, but if you don't have the right vehicle to get you to your vision, that has to be brought into alignment. Just a few more. How about your capacity, which is made up of people and time and facilities and finances and the objective. So you can have a great objective, but if you don't have the right capacity. I was talking to a person not long ago in which they wanted to buy this, but they didn't have the capacity because the capacity was just for this. So once your capacity is aligned, then you can create your objectives and you can meet your objectives. How about decision-making, decision-implementation protocols? So you can make a decision, but how that decision is then sent out to the people and how it is implemented. That has to be in alignment. Just, just a few more. How about organization structures and their outcomes? Vision and programming. You can have vision, but if your programming is not in line with the vision, then you are sending a wrong signal. Now you're thinking that you are aligning, but you really are not in that alignment. How about your business and your marketing? <laughs> if you have a restaurant and you're selling more chicken, but you are advertising fish, that is out of alignment because your, your business and your marketing have to be in alignment with each other. When countries are out of alignment, we're seeing a lot of that all over the world. When countries are misaligned, we got, we got challenges. Families need to be in, in alignment. Just three more. <laughs> when you go to your chiropractor, what do they do? They try to bring your bones into alignment. Uh, members are aligned to the pastor's vision. I just don't understand why somebody keeps going to the same church and are totally misaligned with the vision of the church. So if, you're, if you are watching me right now, uh, that misalignment can cause, cause, cause a lot of angst. Let me give you the last one. When churches in a movement are aligned, but so when churches are in fellowship with one another, great alignment takes place. So with that background, I've just tried to make a point till now how important alignment is, not just in church, but in every facet of our life. Everything has to come into alignment. Let's talk about your business and your church. Did you know that six generations alive in U.S. today 
who attend your church and work with you. Six generations. Let me break it down for you. The GI generation, born 1901 to 1926. There are about 2 million of them. And these numbers are from 2015. The mature generation, also known as silence, uh, born from 1927 to 1945, about 30 million of them. The baby boomers, I'm one, 1946 to 1964 is their birth date, 83 million of us on this planet. Generation X, you don't hear a lot about them, but they are strong. They were born from 1965 to 1980, 66 million of them. What we hear most about nowadays is what we call millennials, also known as Generation Y, born from 1981 to 2000, 83 million of them. I am quite intrigued by the last one that I want to tell you about, which is called Generation Z. Or if you're watching me in another European country or Asian country, Z. Gen Generation Z or Generation Z, we call them the boomlets. They are born after 2001, and this is their first year. 2017 is their first year that they're graduating from college. And there are 73 million of them. Uh, just some notes on that, and then I want to get into the meat of my teaching. Uh, the dates and numbers will vary. Did you know that 50% of millennials are parents? So don't think of them as kids. 50% of them are parents. And then as you look at the six generations I gave you, uh, and I'm told that uh, you'll be receiving these notes, so you can follow along with those notes as well. Each generation is raised by the two generations before it. For example, millennials are raised by boomers and zers are raised by xers. And they all compete and push back against each other. Just because I'm of that age, I thought you might want to know that every day in the United States of America, every day, 10,000 people have a 65th birthday. Every day. Now you do the math. In the United States of America, uh, 10,000 people turn 65. So this is not just a one-generational thing. This is a multi-generational thing. And I started looking at my life. Everywhere I went, people I led <laughs> were older than me. I was a senior pastor at the age of 28. And the average age of my church was in their 60s. I had just been married a year. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a challenge. Uh, then I became president of a Bible college, which is now a university, at the age of 36. <laughs> my dean, <laughs> I mean, everybody seemed like on the faculty was at least 10 to 15 years older than me. Then I became the chairman of an accrediting agency, accrediting association that accredited Christian universities and colleges at the age of 43. I started doing some kind of leadership consultant when I was in my late 30s. So, here are the dynamics. Younger leader, older team. Did you know that almost 40% of the U.S. workers have a younger boss? 
And that, as you can well know, can create its own challenges, especially in the blue-collar industry. And then it rises even more in the white-collar industry because we start talking about experience. And I've been here. I've done this. Who are you? You have no idea. I've got children older than you. And now, 40% of the U.S. working population, and this is not just for uh, corporate, this is for church as well, have a younger boss. <laughs> I'm almost 65. In just three more months, I'll be there. Uh, my two daughters, they are 36 and 34, millennials, who run all of my businesses. And those are always interesting conversations. Because I'm coming from a stabilized point of view. And they're coming from, hey, let's go after this. Their risk, risk threshold is different. Their worldview is different. Uh, the, the way that they absorb uh, the daily things that come at us in our businesses uh, are different. They can shake it off easier than I can shake it off. Uh, I take things much more personally than they, than they do. Uh, their quality of life is measured differently than mine. Balance is important to them. Family time, hanging out with friends and taking vacations. So when you put those together into a corporation, everything starts changing. However, what I'm also noticing as a leadership consultant that if we're not careful, we are creating an us and them. Us, whatever age bracket that might be, them, whoever age bracket might be. So let me discard one theory right up front. I want, I am convinced in my heart, and my empirical data proves that, that age is not, does not determine how you think. I know some 25-year-olds who are so old in their thinking. I know some 87-year-olds who are so young in their thinking. So just, so, so whenever you start lumping people according to, well, they are millennials and we treat them like a monolithic group or they are boomers or they are zers or they are xers. Now what we try to, what happens is we create us and them. So I want to just talk to you about two words and then show you how Jesus handled this Transgenerational challenge. Two words. Observations and opinions. Observations and opinions. Every one of us observe things, and all of us form opinions. Every one of us does that. Uh, and how long does it take you to form an opinion? You look at somebody and say, I like him. You look at somebody else and say, I don't like her. And, and, and it's not like you came through some kind of uh, uh, experimentation, some kind of uh, exploration to come to that conclusion. No, you, we just form opinions. Uh, when, when you're watching TV with a remote control in your hand, how long does it take you to switch from a channel to channel? Because you're observing, you're forming opinion. And your opinion is, I don't want to watch that. If you want to watch that, you stay there for a while. You go to a restaurant, you walk in, that, a restaurant you've never been to before, you walk into that restaurant and you form, you observe and you form an opinion. 
This is what I found. Every one of us is a product of somebody else's observation and opinion. If you get a promotion, it is because somebody observed you and had a better opinion. If you got fired, because somebody observed you and had a lower opinion. When you get married, you both observed each other, formed an opinion. When you go to church, you observe, form opinions. You cannot help doing those two. But the important thing I want you to get is that we have become a product of that. Everybody in this world is doing what they are doing because somebody observed and formed an opinion. So what does it have to do with uh, alignment with multi-generational leadership? Because you're forming opinions. Oh, she's too young. Oh, he's too old. Huh, I know more than him. I've had 25 years of experience, and he's 20. I've been doing this since he was born. And we start forming opinions. And here's the downside of opinion. If we have a lower level opinion, we keep people down. And it may not be their fault, but because of our opinions. So your opinions matter. Because there was an opinion change about Jesus in Luke chapter 2. I want to read to you a verse, two verses actually, Luke chapter 2, verse 46 and 47. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. Just a little background here. Jesus is 12 years of age. According to the biblical account, every year his parents uh, get in the caravan, in the convoy, and they make their way to Jerusalem. And they have a grand time over there of worship, and then they go back. Well, Jesus is 12 years of age, and Mary and, and Joseph, the parents of uh, Jesus, have been traveling for three days. Three days later, they discover, <laughs> where's Jesus? <laughs> you talk about dysfunctional parenting? <laughs> In our day and time, they would be locked up. Their kid goes missing for three days, and they don't even know it. Because they thought he was with their relatives, and that he was hanging around with his cousins and playing with his friends. Because that's what 12-year-olds do. Well, all of a sudden, panic sets in. Where is Jesus? You know, we talk about finding Jesus. They lost Jesus. And in their panic, they go back to Jerusalem. And when they get to Jerusalem, they're looking for Jesus. I mean, Jerusalem is not a small place. It's a, it's a big place, labyrinth of little alleyways and streets and cobblestones. And they go looking for Jesus. When they find Jesus, they see him doing this. Let me pick up this verse, and we'll find Jesus is doing four things. Jesus is doing four things. And it came to pass that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting, now remember, he's sitting down now, in the midst of the doctors. That means the rabbis, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scholars of that time. 
both. Number one, hearing them. Number two, asking them questions. Number three, and all that heard him were astonished at his number three is understanding. And number four, answers. I just want you to work with me on this one. I was born and raised in India, not too far from the Mideastern culture. Much of our culture is the same as in those Jewish times. So in our culture and in this culture, unless you're 40, 45, you have really nothing to say. When, 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 when Paul is writing to Timothy saying, let no man despise your youth, he's not talking to a kid. <laughs> he's talking to a young adult grown-up man. So the question for us is, how does a 12-year-old boy in a patriarchal society arrest the attention of the learned older people? How does a kid speak to an older generation? How does a kid change the observation and opinion of these people to listen to him? How does that happen? I just want you to go with me into the temple for a minute. Uh, there are pillars there. There are little dust here and there. There are kids playing everywhere. But there's this 12-year-old boy who is hanging around who's hanging around these learned, older people. And, and, and he's just listening in. He's just hanging around, listening in. And all of a sudden, in his squeaky 12-year-old boy's voice, he's not started shaving yet, blushing cheeks, young boy, Hasn't been through total puberty yet. In a squeaky voice, he does number one. He asks a question. What do we lead with? We lead with number four, with answers. So the first thing he does is he starts hearing them. Remember, he's hanging around, just listening, just listening. So what I want to say to all the generations right now is, Please, please, please learn the great art of active listening. Because when you listen, you will hear things that you would miss otherwise. After he starts hearing them, then he asks them a question. <laughs> but his question was not to give them an answer. His question was, number three says, to gain understanding. Not, not to ask questions to put somebody down. Have anyone, has anyone ever asked you a question to set you up? <laughs> and they set you up because they already have a statement in mind that they're going to make. So they come loaded, they set you up with a question, and next thing you know, you're on the hook. Because doesn't matter what answer you give them, they're still going to come back at an angle at you. Jesus didn't do that. Step number one, listen. Step number two, ask questions. Step number three, gain understanding. And then you can give some answers and be invited to sit down. 
But sitting down, he became part of them. All that happened when he changed their observation and opinion of himself, and then alignment started coming through the four things Jesus teaches us. Listen. Ask interesting probing questions. Not to set somebody up, but actually to know more. Gain understanding. And then you can bring some answers to their life. So, aligning multi-generational leadership, alignment has to do four things. Number one, alignment has to be found. It has to be maintained. It's got to be corrected when needed and has to be guarded. Let me talk about all four of those briefly. You have to find what is alignment. If you're misaligned, it may not be your thing. But once you have found alignment, then guess what you got to do? Number two, you got to maintain alignment. If you drive a car, you know you got to have it aligned from time to time. Everything, all those illustrations I gave you earlier, alignment. I've been married to my wife uh, going on 39 years. <laughs> we all the time need to bring alignment. I, I got children. I got grandchildren. Alignment. At all times in your life, you've got to maintain alignment. And then, number three, when things are out of alignment, you've got to do what? You've got to correct it. Never be afraid to bring alignment when things are misaligned. Let me tell you something. Misaligned people are not self-correcting. Uh, whenever my car is out of alignment, I take it into the garage and they jack up my car. Do you know there are some people who just need to be jacked up? And what you've been doing is you've been living a, a, a tolerant perspective. You humor them and, and you're hoping that it'll align itself. Question, how's that working out for you? I've never found people who are of alignment who will align themselves. It always takes, listen to me now, it is true in my life, it's true in your life. It always takes an external force, an external voice, an external perspective to bring alignment. If you could align yourself from your inside, you could do that. But somebody else's observation and opinion that brings alignment. And the last thing, number four, is you got to guard alignment. you got to fight for alignment. When a team member is going out of alignment, you got to bring them in. If you see that they are uh, saying things that they didn't used to say, their perspective is different, they're soured on something, they are depressed all the time, you got, you got to bring that stuff into alignment. you got to guard. you got to fight for your alignment. The question becomes, what comes first? Organizational alignment or personal alignment? Do people align before a company aligns? Do members align before churches align? I'm convinced that when people are aligned, organizational alignment takes place much easier. So I want to conclude my time with you by giving you, giving you a few Things that uh, everybody wants. There's not a single person who is listening to me right now who would say, I don't want that. 
So instead of saying, well, this is how we got to treat the millennials, and this is how we got to treat the boomers, and this is how we got to treat the Xers, and this is how we got to treat the Zers or the Zers, we, this is how we got to treat, listen, you're going to live a, you're going to live such a combobulated life. Just trying to be, you go, because you're going to be a different person, but what I'm about to give you are human, not chronological, are human needs. How about this? Honor. Respect. Because see, honor is about the person. Uh, respect is about the performance. Everybody you honor, you don't respect. Everybody you respect, you don't honor. I want to be a person you can respect and honor. Uh, onboarding, when you're bringing people in your organization, how do you reach the heart first, the head next, and the hands last? How is it that you don't give them a job until you have arrested the heart? Areas of personal alignment is what I'm talking about. Uh, creating a safe environment, a safe environment physically, a safe environment emotionally, a safe environment psychologically, a safe environment uh, relationally. Uh, Creating a learning organization where everybody knows that we are expected to grow and learn and mature and be further down the road than we are today. Where growth is encouraged and fun and not stodgy. I just, I, just, I just just hate it when you go into places that are so focused on their work that they never have fun. Because fun is the glue that keeps people together. Fun is what allows people to have the benefit of the doubt and, and create relationships. Personal alignment and coaching and authentic relationships. A sense of purpose and a place of belonging. Everybody wants self-worth. Everybody wants to leave their workplace every day saying, that was worth it. I made a difference. Uh, a place where you are not driven by titles. Uh, where your Inclusion and input is accepted. A place where dialogue is, dialogue, talk to me. Don't just bark at me, talk to me. Don't yell at me, talk to me. If it takes a paragraph, say a paragraph. I know you could say it in a sentence, but say a paragraph. Every, everybody's looking for influence and impact, meaningful accomplishment, clarity of mission, vision, Everybody's looking for leadership from leaders. Regardless, here's my point. When you bring in alignment, regardless of the age bracket that you find yourself in, everybody wants this. See, everything works better when there's alignment. <laughs> Cars run better when they're aligned. In a restaurant, <laughs> it is better for you to receive what you ordered. <laughs> Families are in harmony alignment. Churches grow when leaders are in alignment. Businesses flourish when alignment of product, process, and people. But when people miss signals, alignment breaks down. I'll tell you a story. This is an anecdotal story that way back there in the city of Rome, uh, there was a lot of uh, people moving in there. There were so many Jews. There were so many Jews that the Roman citizens started getting uh, concerned. There are more of them than us. So as goes the story, it's an anecdotal story. The, the, the Roman people, the leaders, went to the Pope and said to him, Brother Pope, your holiness, there are too many, too many Jews here. We've got to get them out of the city or they're going to take over. We want you 
to kick them out. The Pope said, no, man, they're good people. They're fine people. They're helping us people. But the Romans were adamant that the Pope create an edict to kick all the Jews out. And they were so belligerent and so aggressive about the whole thing that the Pope finally acquiesced to them and agreed to create a decree that all the Jews have to leave Rome in three days. Leave Rome in three days. When the Jews found out about <laughs> this whole thing, that they had to leave town in three days, pack up and leave, they were upset. They went to the Pope and said, Your Holiness, how can you do that to us? We are good people. We are good citizens. We contribute to the economy and the workforce. Pope said, well, that's how it is. The Jews said to the Pope, we would like to give you a challenge. Here's a challenge. On a certain day in St. Peter's Square, let's have a theological debate. A theological debate between us and you. Whoever wins, if we win, we get to stay. If we lose, you can kick us out. Pope said, okay. Oh, except for one thing. This debate will be with no talking. Nobody will talk. Pope said, okay. I'm the theologian. No problem. So the Jews went looking for somebody who would debate for them. They couldn't find anybody who would go up against the Pope. But they found a street sweeper, a street sweeper. His name was Moshi. Uneducated, Moshi. On this day, there's a big platforms built in uh, St. Peter's Square. The Pope is on one side, Moshi, the street sweeper, who is surrounded by the rabbis on this side, surrounded by cardinals on this side, and the debate begins. The Pope goes like this. Moshi goes like this. The Pope goes like this. Moshi goes like this. The Pope pulls out the Lord's Supper, communion, and starts partaking of that. Moshi pulls out an apple and starts munching on that. All of a sudden, the Pope stood up. He said, he's too good. He gets flustered and leaves. And allows the Jews to stay. Everybody Jewish is jubilant. But over here, the cardinals are surrounding the Pope. And the cardinals say, your holiness, what happened? He said, when I said to him, we're going to, God is all around us. He said, God is right here as well. When I said, I believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He said, but don't we all believe in the same Father? And when I pulled out the Lord's Supper to remind him how all this started and, uh, and, the, and the sanctification and uh, the, the cleansing that comes from the communion, he pulled out the apple to remind me how it all started. On the other side, Moshe is surrounded by the rabbi saying, what happened? He said, well, when he said, I'm going to clear Rome of all of you Jews, I said, we're staying right here. When he said, you got three days to leave, I said, not a one of us is leaving. And they asked him what happened at the end. 
He said, well, he pulled out his lunch. I pulled out mine. And that is how life is. We go through life giving signals. Signals to our talk. Signals to our body language. Signals in our work performance. And what you are saying is not being heard. Simply because of misalignment. Alignment. Your homework is to find alignment. Alignment between you and your Lord. Alignment between you and your church. Alignment between you and your business. Alignment between you and your family. Alignment between you and your neighbors. Alignment with you and your friends. Because when you're aligned, everything works out for you.